At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Morning! Give me a whoop whoop! God's so good, you never give up on me. Great stuff. Have you ever met, whoo, boy, puberty there for a second. Um, uh, have you ever met someone that as soon as you met them, you knew that your life was never going to quite be the same again? You know, that in an instant, there was like this, oh, wow, everything is changing. Yeah, um, husband, wife, uh, not just your kids, but Sometimes we have these encounters with people and, and we recognize that in that moment, everything is going to change from that point forward. Our hope, our desire in this series that we've called NT90, where we're, where we're encouraging, where we're challenging, where we're pushing you to read through all the New Testament in 90 days, is that in this time, you'll meet Jesus in a way that you have never met him before. And that the result of that will be not just that you know about him, but that you know him. And that he'll change you from the inside out. That's, that's what this whole series is about. So uh, we've been week by week just kind of working our way through the New Testament. If you're new, if, if that whole uh, concept is new, um, uh, you, can, you can go to the version and get onto the um, uh, Read Through the New Testament 90 Days app. You can, if you've got a question out of the Connect kiosk, we can help you do that. If you're on track, you should be through John 17, I think, today. So, uh, yeah, let's hear the whoop whoops again. Yeah, you're there. Um, the, um, I, I hope as you read that you're drawn to Jesus and that you sense who he is, his grace, in a way that maybe you never have before. We've talked about kind of a little bit of the background of, of the first three books that we've read through, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that, that are biographies of Jesus. Today, I just want to give you a little bit of background on the book of John. The, the book of John was written by the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John. And it's one of those four Gospels, what we call the Gospels, the biographies of the life of Jesus. They tell the story of the life of Jesus. John is, is way different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? Some of you are going, yeah, it's just like, wow, incredible stuff. Um, the, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke are sometimes called the synoptic gospels. Maybe you've, you've uh, seen that term before. It just means sin like one and optic like eye, that they have the same kind of perspective about the life of Jesus. John is not one of those. He has a completely different perspective. It's really cool to me that when you read through the Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke spend a chapter or two talking about uh, the Last Supper, the, the Passover celebration that Jesus and the disciples do together. Jesus arrests his time praying in the garden um, and his crucifixion. John spends a fourth of his book, a fourth of the, the entire book on that same time period. So there's all kinds of stuff that starts in John chapter 13, if you were reading yesterday, and, um, and goes through the next couple of days, that's all material that's just so rich and vibrant about the heart of Jesus for his disciples, 
Um, I hope you'll jump in and get that. So John's unique. Um, John, John himself, in writing this, expresses the purpose for why he wrote this particular book, which is really cool because you don't have to guess and say, okay, why did John write this? What, what was the purpose? John chapter 20 says this, verse, verse 30. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in, additions to the one, in, in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John said, bottom line, here's the, here's the reason why I'm writing. I want you to know Jesus, and I want you to experience the power that he has to change your life. That's what it's all about. For that reason, John has, uh, John has been really the heart of Christian theology for 2,000 years. Because it's so much of it is spent on, on the, this idea of the divinity of Jesus, that he was God come to earth. Um, through, through the book of John, you see over and over again, Jesus talking about the connection that he has with God. He says over and over again, the, the phrase, I am. He says, um, I, I, I am the, I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the door or the gate to come to the Father. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, man, it's all about me. Um, John was the last of the Gospels that were written. It was written uh, towards the end of the, of the first century, somewhere between 85 and 100 AD. Uh, again, still not that um, far removed from when the events happened. And I think John probably said, you know what, there is so much Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't tell. I've got to write this stuff down. People have got to know the story. Um, uh, we're going to look today in the book of John at two different encounters that Jesus had with people um, where they met him and their lives were changed dramatically. They were, they, were, they were changed eternally. So if you've got your Bibles, take it out. We're going to start in John 3. If you've got the North Point app, you can open up to that. The scriptures will be on screen, but man, um, dive in and, and just digest what John has written. I'm, I'm reading today from the New Living Translation. It's, uh, I, I'm loving it because it's just kind of a fresh, a fresh perspective of, uh, of a scripture. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, you know what? I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you're a respected te Jewish teacher. You don't understand these things? And he goes on to explain some. Uh, down just a few sentences, he says, 
The Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Who is this Nicodemus character? What, what was he about? Uh, scripture tells us that he was a Pharisee, so he was a trained religious leader. He, was, he had essentially gone to seminary to study the scriptures and to understand them. And if you remember, if you've been listening the last few weeks, if you've been reading through the New Testament, there is this antagonism that takes place between Jesus and the Pharisees, because the Pharisees are the religious established power. And Jesus, as he goes to the heart of the issue, the Pharisees see that as undercutting their power. And so there's this conflict that happens over and over again. Nicodemus is a Pharisee that, uh, that somewhere in the process he has to think, you know, this guy is not what everybody else, all the rest of the Pharisees think. I've got to know more. So he goes and talks to him at night. And we know that in that encounter, Nicodemus' life began to change. We know that because a few chapters later in, in uh, chapter 7, the Pharisees are ready to, to arrest Jesus. Jesus is teaching they don't like it. They send guards to arrest him. The guards come back and they say, we've never heard anybody speak like this. And, um, and Nic the Pharisees are ready to have Jesus arrested. And um, Nicodemus says, wait a second, we can't put him on trial unless, unless he first has a hearing. And the rest of the Pharisees turn on Nicodemus and say, what, are you ignorant? Do you not understand the law, the, the, the Old Testament law about the Messiah? And, um, and Nicodemus kind of fades into the background. We know that that change ended up being complete because when you fast forward to Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus goes through the excruciating pain, the torment, the the the. All, all of the stuff associated with his crucifixion. He dies in our place. And when he is taken down from the cross, you know who does it? It's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Nicodemus goes from being this closet follower, this guy in the background, the guy who comes to Jesus at night, to very openly and publicly at a place of shame outside the city. Nicodemus helps take Jesus' body down from the cross and bury, and bury him. What does Jesus say to Nicodemus that made such a difference? He said, you must be born again. What's it mean to be born again? If you're, if you're of a certain age, you've heard that, that phrase before. People talk, oh, are you a born-again Christian? What, what's it mean to be born again? Ha, have you ever tried to remake yourself um, when I was a kid growing up, my family moved about every three years from the time that I was really little uh, until I was in uh, later elementary school. And I loved it as a kid growing up because I was an extrovert. It was like every three years we move, oh, a chance to meet new people. This is great. Um, I, I, thought, I thought it was great. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with a, with a guy in his 20s that um, had quit his job uh, and was getting ready to re relocate someplace else in the country with a new job. He didn't care where. He just wanted to get away from where he was. Um, and he came to a conclusion before he, before he made that change completely. He had quit his job, but before he gave up his place, he said, you know what I realized? 
I realized that if I go to a new place and start a new job and start a new life, all of the issues that I'm dealing with right here where I am are going to show up there as well. Because they're my issues. They're not anybody else's issues. They're my issues. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you got issues. You have to be born again. You've got to experience a new birth. You can't hide from yourself, and you can't hide from God. If you know the Old Testament, Jonah tried to hide from himself, to hide from God. That didn't work for him at all. Um, you know, a baby that's, that, that's grown in, inside its mom's belly can only grow there for eight or nine months. And then it has to go through the birth process. If it doesn't, what will happen? The baby will die. Because that baby is made to experience new birth. It's got to go through that birth process. The same thing is true spiritually. You can grow and develop in a spiritual womb. You, it may be that you've had spiritual parents that have invested in you. Your, maybe it's your physical parents. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's family members. And, and you have lived off of their spiritual nutrients for a really long time. But unless you're born again, you will spiritually die. Because your lungs, your spiritual lungs were meant to be exercised out in the world. Your spiritual umbilical cord was meant to be cut so that your relationship with the world, with Jesus, is what God designed it to be. You have to be born again. You have to experience that spiritual birth. How, how do you do that? You know, it's really interesting to me that Jesus didn't say, okay, this is, this is how you be born again. You pray this prayer, you do these things, you go. Jesus just said, you've got to be born again. We all want a formula but what's it really about to be born again? It's to give all of your aspirations, all of your hopes, all of your dreams, all of your goals, all of the controls that you have on your life and say, Jesus, I willingly give them to you. I trust you in every aspect of my life. You take over and you, you take me through that birth process. You do your work in me. I can't do it on my own. You know, when we say, I choose Jesus no matter what, that's the picture of what the Bible talks about, about belief and repentance and confession. It's, it, they're, they're not just acts that we do. It's a transformation that takes place in us that gets expressed publicly. It's so, it's so cool. Baptism... Baptism, the Bible describes as new birth. It is that, that process by which we say to the world, yeah, I'm, Jesus has complete control of my life. And the Bible talks about that as your spiritual new birth. Um, do you notice that it's in this encounter with Nicodemus that Jesus says those famous words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. When, when you watch on TV at a sporting event or whatever and you see the sign that says John 3.16, when you see that up on a billboard on the highway, when you uh, see it graffiti splashed on a wall, that's this verse. John 3.16 is this. In, in common language, it's this. This is how much God loved the world. 
He gave his son, his one and only son. This is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, to smack him upside the head, telling them how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Do you love that? Jesus, Jesus is here to change us from the inside out. Make no mistake about it, Jesus came to transform lives. Lives of good people, lives of religious people, lives of educated people like Nicodemus and people who were outcasts like a woman that John describes just a few verses later at the beginning of chapter 4. Let me start reading in chapter 4, verse 6. Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside Jacob's well in Samaria about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Sir, you don't don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is deep. How, How would you get this living water? Besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anybody who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come back here to the well again. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the guy that you're living with uh, isn't your husband now. You certainly have spoken the truth. Uh, The woman says, "Uh, uh, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Do you see what happened? All of a sudden, she got really nervous because she's right in the crosshairs of Jesus. Jesus is telling her about how much of a mess her life is. And she tries to dodge. She tries to divert Jesus' attention. Jesus answers her diversion And gets right back on point and says, God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Again, she feels like, ah, he's telling me stuff I don't want to hear. She knows, he, he knows I'm just going through the motions. And she tries to divert again. The woman said, I know the, I know, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who's called Christ. When he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. 
And Jesus told her, I am Messiah. I'm the one you've been looking for. You know, there's so much in this to unpack. There's a whole series of messages, really, that I would love to just talk about this particular encounter. Um, But let me just hit some highlights. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were people whose ancestors had married with people who were not Jewish. Again, we, we talked about this a little bit. For the Jews, to be God's chosen people was such a big deal. And to have, for the Samaritans, to have some of their ancestors choose to reject God's direction and marry people who weren't Jews, for the Jewish people, they said, man, those people are worthless. They can't even obey the law. They don't really have the right kind of relationship. They're not really God's chosen people. The Jews despised the Samaritans. And this woman was despised by the Samaritans. She was the despised of the despised. She was down on the bottom. It's very likely because of how much of a mess her her life was, her relationships. We we know Jesus said, "You've, you've had five husbands. We know one of two things about her. Either she was a tramp, right? Or that she was so hard to live with that five different guys had divorced her. Um, her life was a mess. It was just a mess. She's so much of an outsider, so much of an outcast among this village in Samaria that she goes at, at noontime to get water when all the respectable women from the village would be back home again. They would have gone out first thing in the morning to get all the water that they needed for the day. She goes at a time that she doesn't have to mess with any other people to listen to them talk about her, to have them whisper about who she is and what she's done. Have you ever felt like an outsider? Like an outcast? Like because of the choices that you've made, you don't belong with any of the respectable people? That maybe you don't even belong with God? Because there's just so much mess in your life. To Nicodemus, Jesus said, hey, religious leader, you've got to be born again. To, to the woman at the well, Jesus says, guess what? There is new birth. There is new life. There's hope just waiting for you to experience through me, through that living water. If you're discouraged, if you're trapped, if you're despondent, if you're alone, if you're broken, if you're outcast, Jesus says, I will give you living water and you'll never be thirsty again. It'll be fresh, bubbling up inside you like a spring that gives you eternal life. You can't earn it. You can't manufacture it. It only comes by being born again. Um, A few years ago, uh, a guy who's part of uh, North Point was baptized. His name is Ben Vogel. He's uh, typically at a later service. I remember his baptism video so vividly because Ben talked about he had grown up kind of in and around the church, but but began um, in his spiritual journey to really realize three things, and he said it so clearly on his video. It's all about Jesus. It starts with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus, 
And that's all there is. It's all about Jesus. That's, that's the concept that's here. Um, Jesus, Jesus turned this woman at the well, turned her world upside down. Look what John describes as happening. Uh, Jesus tells her that he's the Messiah, and now in verse 28, the woman who came to the well with her jar to get water, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah, the Savior? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Down in verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged Jesus to stay in their village. So he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he indeed, he is indeed the savior of the world. When the woman told her story to the people in her village, they were drawn to Jesus like a magnet. They were drawn to Jesus like people in quarantine are drawn to Netflix. They, they, were, they were drawn to Jesus like foodies are drawn to a restaurant on February 1st. Do, do you understand? She said, he knows everything about me. And they came to Jesus. And Jesus gave them living water. Do you catch what they said? They said, now we believe, not just because of what you said, but because we've heard him ourselves. We know that he indeed is the savior of the world. The world was turned upside down because a woman whose life was a mess encountered Jesus and shared her story of what Jesus was doing in her life, how Jesus had transformed her you want to see change in your environment at work? Talk about how you see Jesus changing you, the way that you think and the way that you respond. You want to see change in your family? Talk normally about how you see Jesus working in you, not in a preachy, judgmental way, in a way that, that you're trying to make a point, but in the same way that you'd talk about your struggles with online school or with COVID, the same way that you talk about something that you found online, the same way that you talk about what's going to happen with the Big Ten tournament in just a few weeks. Jesus changed Nicodemus. It rocked his career. When Jesus changed the woman at the well, met her and changed her, it affected her relationships and it turned her world upside down, her community upside down. Here's the question. What does Jesus want to change in you? What's he want to do in you? And who's it going to impact? This morning, about 3,000 miles from here, in a little village six kilometers from the city of San Lorenzo in the northwest corner of Ecuador, there's a church called Amor de Dios, the love of God, that exists because Jesus changed some of us here at North Point. He was working in us 
to change how we responded to the needs of others. He was working in us to challenge us to live more simply and to, and to send some of our resources to another place. He was working in us to help us understand that there are hundreds of children in poverty living without hope, in desperate need of an education and nutritious food and medical care, and especially in desperate need of Jesus. So we gave financially as a church to plant a church there. And many of us continue to give on a monthly basis to help change the circumstances of those children and their families so that they can meet and know Jesus. The children whose lives Deb and I are impacting in that corner of Ecuador, one of them is a little girl named Catherine. She's 13 years old. She's incredibly smart and an incredible leader at 13 years old. Another is a 12-year-old named William who's trying to be the man of his family at 12 years old because his dad's in prison trying to take care of his mom. And a little boy, eight years old, um, named Christopher, whose mom and dad work in a, in a palm plantation um, gathering palm oil that gets sold. The, the plantation's in the middle of a drug turf war. And he travels a long way to come be a part of the project. I want to encourage you today to sponsor a child through Compassion International. Or if you already, if you already sponsor a child, to make sure that you go home today and write to the child or the children that you sponsor. And in your letter, tell them about how Jesus is changing your life. Um, it's incredibly easy. Out in the atrium, there's a table there with 43 children from, from the canine community outside San Lorenzo. Um, it would be an incredible thing if all 43 were sponsored today. It would make a huge difference in that community. Go look at them. Look at their pictures. Pray and choose one. The financial cost is less than $40 a month. But the return is that their life will change. Their, the life of their family will change. Their community is being changed because of Jesus. And here's the thing. Your life will change as well. Here's a story of how five of our team were impacted by our trip a year and a half ago to Ecuador. with a lot of different people from the kids that are at the church where uh, most of our kids uh, go to their program. I did an, a meet and greet when we sh pulled up on the bus so here's this bus and, and all of us pulling out and, and the kids were all you know wow you know here's these Americans coming. When we went I was very nervous and I think they could tell but like a good 20 minutes in, they were all attacking me and like hanging on me, and that was really nice. We did like a vacation Bible school type day, 
and they were just so excited to make this cute little memory verse. You know, talk about feeding the 5,000. We, we saw that in action. People kept coming and coming and coming, and we didn't run out of food until the last person had something to eat. It was a, a cool opportunity to actually see where the child that we were sponsoring lived, um, to, to meet the family, to meet the, the mom, and to, to interact. Actually going and meeting Alejandro and seeing where he's at, you know, it, it kind of brings at home some of the things that you hear uh, in the news and also the kind of world that these kids are living in. The conditions are um, third world conditions. Poverty is easy to ignore here, and it's impossible to ignore there. Um, but God is there, He is moving, He's doing some incredible things there. While we were there, we had the opportunity to meet um, a band that uh, performs in Ecuador. They, they play beautiful music, and all of the band members are former sponsored children. But the thing that has stuck with these, they're all grown men now, they talked about the letters. One of the things that we did see that there were some kids that they pulled out the letters and had the letters in hand and how much that meant. We also heard from um, some formerly sponsored kids that were now older and adults and they talked about, um, they talked about the impact that those letters had on them. When we got to meet our kids and go into their house, they showed us the letters that we had been writing them, that they had them printed out and they saved them and they keep them in a, like a special box. Just writing a simple letter can make the kids' day or week or month just so much better. For years, we didn't sponsor any kids. Uh, it wasn't because we didn't care, it's just because we thought someone else would do it. You get so much from sponsoring. Giving the money is, is important because you know it's going for good things. But once you realize the impact that it's having on not only the child, but the child's family and their community, um, it's so worth it. It really is a, a, you know, a small investment um, to really, that really plays into these kids' lives. God paves the way. We'll go back to Ecuador this October to visit the church, to see the kids. Um, if you're interested, man, we would love to have you be a part of the trip. Know that that trip is not cheap, but it's worth saving every dollar for. Even if you can't go, sponsor a child today, or two, or three, or ten. Um, God will transform your heart as a result. Here's the bottom line. Have you been born again? Do you feel like an outcast, all alone and isolated from everyone that matters? You know, I wish my shirt said, need hope with a question mark as well as give hope. Because Jesus came to give us hope. 
And when we're born again, when he transforms our life, we have the ability to spread that hope where we live and around the world. We're going to stand and sing. And I just, I just want to invite you today, if you have never said yes to Jesus, if you've never been born again, I, I invite you to come down here and we'll pray with you, talk to you about what that looks like. God is in the business of changing lives. Meeting Jesus changes everything. Let's stand together. Let's see.